I love going to weddings. I love seeing all the emotions that you see at a wedding, like the sheer joy and excitement of the bride as she's waiting in the bridal suite, or when the father of the bride gets choked up as he gives his little girl away. One of my favorite parts of a wedding ceremony is the grand entrance of the bride. As she walks down the aisle, she locks eyes with the groom, and sometimes I see the groom crying, tears of joy in awe of his radiant bride. There's something so special and wonderful about weddings and celebrating the love of two people coming together in the presence of God and community. So it's equally just as devastating when the same two people who vow to be with each other forever begin to drift apart. It may not happen right away initially. First, they have their honeymoon phase. But over time, factors like jobs, busy schedules, caring for kids, caring for elderly parents, and unexpected challenges in life can cause them to drift. They're not as attentive, and they begin to neglect their needs and the needs of one another. They take each other for granted, no longer appreciating one another. Miscommunication, offense, feelings of rejection and withdrawal could cause that wedge to grow even wider until eventually some couples choose to separate for good. Unless they recognize that there is a problem and are willing to do something about it. Similarly, in today's passage, we're going to read about a group of Christians who have drifted from God. You see, they stopped going to God and have become self-sufficient and complacent. It's not only jeopardizing their walk with him, but their entire spiritual well-being. Today, we'll be looking at a letter that the Apostle John wrote to one of the seven churches in the book of Revelations, the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was a city located in what is now modern-day Turkey, then called Asia Minor, in a section of the Roman Empire called Phrygia. If you were a first-century Christian and you lived in Laodicea, you were considered blessed. This city had a booming economy being planted on one of the major trade routes of its day. And they had beautiful textiles. One of their main exports was a glossy black wool. They also had a renowned medical school that produced a popular ISAB that people far and wide came to purchase. If Laodicea were a modern-day town, it would have multi-million dollar estates, posh shops, and expensive car dealerships. Does any of this sound familiar? <laughs> if you lived in this town, you probably had enough money to buy whatever you needed. The affluence was so great that in 8060, when an earthquake devastated the area, Laodicea rejected help from Rome to rebuild their city and instead chose to use it to use their own expenses to rebuild the city. So what could possibly go wrong for a church that has every material blessing that you could imagine? Let's read about it in Revelations 3, verse 14 to 16. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. 
Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You see that word spit you out in verse 16? In Greek, it's translated as the word vomit. That is some pretty strong language from Jesus. According to him, it's better to be cold than to be lukewarm. Here, Jesus is not referring hot and cold temperatures to describe someone that is spiritually on fire versus someone who is not having no relationship with him whatsoever, but he's referring to the benefits of hot and cold water. You see, Laodicea was a city that had everything, gold, textiles, medicine, except a natural water supply. North of Laodicea was a city called Hierapolis that had access to hot springs, and to the south of Laodicea was a Colossae that got its cold water from the mountain snowmelts. But Laodicea had no water source. They had to import their water from Hierapolis using an underground aqueduct. And by the time the water reached the city, it was neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. The hot springs of Hierapolis had healing properties, and the cold water from Colossae was refreshing to drink from, but lukewarm water had absolutely no benefits. It was tepid, unclean, and at times undrinkable, the kind of water that made you sick and make you wanna spit out of your mouth. So how did this church get to this point of lukewarmness? And what can we learn from their mistake? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So based on this verse, lukewarmness can be defined as someone who doesn't need anything. They are Christians who are content just the way they are. They are self-sufficient, no longer going to God for anything. Outwardly, they could be doing all the motions like coming to church on Sundays and paying their tithes, but on the inside, they lack true communion and intimacy with God, which leads to a dull, apathetic spiritual life. It doesn't benefit them and it doesn't benefit anyone else around them. I'm gonna say something that might shock some of you. It's actually good to be poor and needy. Just gonna let that sink in for a moment. I'm not talking about the kind of poverty that we see in the world like homelessness, but what I'm talking about is the kind of humility that helps us see our true spiritual condition. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The truth of the matter is, we are all spiritually poor because we've fallen short of the glory of God living in this sinful and corrupt world. And recognizing that we are spiritually poor is a good thing because it draws us closer to God and encounter him in ways that are real and life-changing. When I think about what it means to be poor in spirit, I think back to a missions trip I took several years ago to Honduras. 
For some of you who may not know, Honduras is one of the poorest countries in Latin America. And when I visited, it had the high, highest homicide rate in the entire world. When I went, I was scared for our team and was feeling anxious. But in my pride, I thought, well, I'm being a good little Christian, sacrificing for Jesus, and I'm gonna go to Honduras and help all these poor people. But I quickly learned that they did not need me. I needed them. Our team stayed with a Christian international school at a small rural village that provided free education to the local children. And one day, we went out to do street outreach to one of the major slums in the area. This place had dirt roads, no plumbing, no sewer system, just miles and miles of tin shanty homes. I was shocked by the level of poverty I witnessed there. I mean, these were scenes out of television, like for commercials for World Vision. I had never imagined that I would actually see it with my very own eyes. We went from home to home, just delivering food and supplies and offering prayer for anyone who wanted it. And I remember we visited the home of a woman who had one leg and she was bound to a wheelchair. And I asked her what God could do for her. And her response was, I don't need anything. I have Jesus, I have my Bible, I have everything I need. I was stunned by her answer. Here she was bound to a wheelchair, living in this miserable condition, and she's telling me that she had everything she needed because she had Jesus? I was deeply humbled. This woman exuded such joy and confidence in the Lord that I did not have as a believer at the time, and it exposed my spiritual poverty. Another woman we visited shared that when she ran out of food, she would just begin to thank God for her next meal, not knowing where it would come from. And not long after, someone would appear at the door with a hot plate of food. Or when she was sick, she would just lay on the dirt floor and begin to worship God because she was so far from the nearest medical clinic. And she would worship and worship until she was healed. Never had I witnessed such radical faith and dependency on God. For these people, there were no options, no backup plan. Jesus was their only option. On the outside, they seemed destitute. But on the inside, they were spiritually rich and thriving. They knew where their help came from and that they had access to God's kingdom economy, which not only provided for their material needs, but it enabled them to be powerful witnesses for someone like myself, who thought I had it all coming from a wealthy country like America, only to realize that compared to them, I was not rich, but I was poor. And it ignited a hunger in me, longing for more of God and wanting to see the kind of miracles that they witnessed on a regular basis. Now hear me on this. You don't have to be materially poor in order to be spiritually rich. Jesus came for both the wealthy and the poor and everyone in between. The gospel is good news for people of all socioeconomic backgrounds. But what Revelation 3 teaches us is that when you have everything you need materially, it's tempting 
to no longer go to God for anything and to become self-sufficient, which can jeopardize our faith. There is a correlation between dependency on God and having a vibrant spiritual life. You see, when we depend on God for our needs, no matter what they are, physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, relational needs, financial needs, it helps us draw closer to God and cultivate intimacy with him. And that is what makes us spiritually rich because we're able to receive blessings that money can't buy. Jesus said in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now I could do a whole separate teaching on just this one verse, but for the sake of time, I'm just gonna say that there are spiritual blessings far greater than any material blessings that we could receive. Just like the Laodiceans, we could have access to all the money, healthcare, resources in the world. We could be dressed to the T wearing nice fancy clothes, but underneath all of that posh, put together exterior, we need to ask ourselves, how is it with our souls? Do we have that peace and joy like that women from Honduras had? Do we have a vibrant spiritual lives that others are benefiting from? Or have we become so self-sufficient, so self-focused that we've drifted from God and others? Every single one of us here can have a blind spot when it comes to evaluating our own life. We could deceive ourselves into thinking that we are much better and much farther along the journey than we really are. But thankfully, God in his goodness and mercy is so kind to show us our blind spots. Jesus says in verse 19 that it's to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Like a loving parent, Jesus offers correction and discipline, not because he wants to punish us or condemn us, but because he loves us and wants to restore us. So how do we get back to God if we find ourselves drifting from him? We respond to this invitation from Jesus found in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. I think this is so amazing. The Laodiceans were drifting from Jesus. Their self-sufficiency made them lukewarm, but instead of spitting them out of his mouth, Jesus invites to have dinner with him. How kind and merciful is our God. But this invitation actually goes beyond dinner. This imagery of knocking at one's door actually comes from the wedding customs of ancient Israel. You see, back then, if a young man wanted to marry, he had to go to the girl's father and pay a bride price, like gold, silver, and camels. And if the girl's family accepted the offer, then the couple would be betrothed. 
the bridegroom would then go away and to be, begin to build an extension in his father's house for him and his bride. That process could last anywhere up to a year and a half, which would test the bride's patience and faithfulness as she awaited his return. When their home was ready, there would be a public announcement that the bridegroom was coming and he would come to retrieve his bride and they would get married. After the wedding was the door ceremony where the bride would lock herself behind the door of their wedding chamber and the bridegroom would come and knock on the door asking his beloved to let him in. And the bride would then say to him, and what have you given for my bride price? And the bridegroom would then list every single thing that he had to pay in order to have her as his bride. Friends, Jesus is our bridegroom. And he has paid the ultimate price to have his bride. You. Do you know just how valuable you are to Jesus? You are so costly that he gave his very own life so that he could be with you forever. Jesus said in John 14, that in my Father's house there are many rooms, and one day he will return to retrieve his bride. I pray that when that day comes, we will be ready, and that our love for him will be burning brightly. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I wanna invite you to just take a moment right now and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any blind spots that you may have. Where have you stopped going to God? Is your marriage with Christ vibrant? Is it benefiting those around you? Or has it waned in the weariness of life? Then as you approach the Lord's table, I want you to imagine that you're actually walking down the aisle of a wedding ceremony as you come up and that Jesus, your bridegroom, is here at the table waiting for you. As you receive the elements, recall the bride price that he paid to have you as his bride. There might be some of you here today that never said yes to Jesus. And if that's you, today can be the day when you have a completely new life with him. He is knocking on the door of your heart waiting for you to respond. But there might be others of you here who have said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but maybe you've been distracted lately, or you've grown weary and find yourself drifting from God. You miss that fire that you once had when you first believed. And if that's you, I invite you during communion to renew your vow with Jesus and surrender to him afresh. Friends, we are all spiritually poor and needy. But Jesus has paid the ultimate price so that we could be rich in him and be with him forever. Thanks be to God.